This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, with you on a Thursday afternoon, a fun Thursday afternoon, as we get the first full weekend of college football 2021 underway. You had the appetite whetted a tad last weekend with some zero-week matchups. But, of course, this weekend we're anticipating the Alabama Crimson Tide taking on the Miami Hurricanes in Atlanta, Georgia. 2.30 Central kickoff on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But we're going to take you around the SEC, around college football a little bit on this Thursday kickoff show as we welcome a longtime friend of the podcast and certainly one of the great contributors in recent years to 247sports.com. That's my good friend Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 247sports.com. And uh, Chris, I know you got to be chomping at the bit on this Thursday. Yeah, I mean, after after that hard sell on me, like I'm ready to run through a wall drive. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm excited, man. Like, I know Alabama fans probably don't feel this way because the season went really well for them last year, but last year's football didn't really feel like it normally does without fans in the stands. And to kind of have everybody back in the stands and to kind of have that feeling about college football again, it feels it feels really great. And there's so many games this week that are must-watch television. I'm going to have like three screens on my couch as I try to absorb it all. I'm really excited. Yeah, I told the wife earlier today about my plans, and they involve additional televisions in her living room. I don't <laughs> know how receptive she was to that, but I think it was almost resigned, you know, the response that she knows it's going to happen if I'm already thinking that way on Thursday. Uh, I hear you on that, and I, I appreciate that approach, no doubt about it. You said it, a lot of games to consider, and it's interesting, isn't it? the sort of flavor that we have this weekend. We saw some of it even in zero week with a Big Ten matchup right out the gate. Brett Bielema, former Arkansas and Wisconsin head coach, back to the Big Ten, and he gets a W over the beleaguered, embattled at this point, Chris Hummer, Scott Frost. And so we get some conference play last weekend in the Big Ten. Uh, we're going to have a continuation of that on Thursday night. Uh, with Ohio State and Minnesota, and then into the weekend as well, maybe a game that has a chance to be the game of the weekend with Penn State and Wisconsin. So a little bit of a different approach, the Big Ten getting right after it. But then we also, as we know, in this part of the country, have an ACC-SEC challenge in some ways that will attract a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, absolutely. I I love the Big Ten's model. I think if I was a coach, I wouldn't probably like it quite as much. If you're Scott Frost, I think you're really wishing you <laughs> warmed up with like the Citadel or something in week one. But it is what it is. But it's it's great for fans. I'm very, very excited for Penn State and um, Wisconsin, certainly. And there are so many other games in the Big Ten schedule that are appealing. 
Like Minnesota is a borderline top 25 team this year. I get Ohio State to open the year. Michigan State Northwestern's juicy. I really dig it. But um, you did mention kind of the ACC, SEC flavor. That's going to be a lot of fun across the board, too. So, I mean, there's just so much going on. Like, you got North Carolina, Virginia Tech. That might be, like, the 12th best game of the weekend. And that's got major implications in the ACC right off the bat. So it's it's a really exciting lineup. It really is. And I know you touched on this. You went in depth on this, actually, in that Clemson Georgia matchup with the quarterbacks involved in the Southern California flavor, you're going to have not only at the position in that game in Charlotte, but obviously Alabama is going to be a part of that as well. And even on Thursday night with the direction Ohio State's chosen to go into with uh, Justin Fields onto the NFL. So it's all about LA. It's all about California, I guess, at the quarterback position this weekend. Yeah, a lot of avocado toast being served in some tailgates this weekend, for sure. But yeah, it's it's really wild. Um, Andrew Ivins, our colleague, a national analyst for us on the recruiting side, published a story today. I think there was 18 starting quarterbacks from California in college football, leading the country, or leading the states in the country, I suppose. And four of the five of them start for top five teams, Ohio State, Georgia, um, Alabama and Clemson all have Southern California quarterbacks. That's not even counting a guy like Matt Corral at Ole Miss, who will feature prominently in a Monday night game this week. So a ton of California flavor and California quarterbacks. I'm a, I'm a Texas guy. Like I will defend the state and their quarterback production, but it's, it's really hard to argue against California right now. They're just the best teams all seem to have them a Cali quarterback. Big weekend for you then in terms of this Alabama Miami game. Derek King trying to uphold the Lone Star State at the position for you guys. Unfortunately, Derek King has to uphold a whole heck of a lot more against that Alabama defense and some of the other ones. But um, yeah, Derek, I think Derek's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. It's crazy. He was a wide receiver at Houston during the 2016 season for Tom Herman. That's how long he's been around college football. But um, he is, uh, he's certainly one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and it's, it's good to see him healthy. I think Miami is a potential top 10 team this year if things break right. You might not see that this week, but uh, it'll be a really fun matchup with Alabama. And Bryce Young certainly will be fun to follow as well. But I I do feel bad for Derek King. Zion Nelson, or Zion Nelson, kind of their star left tackle, has been a bit banged up. And uh, when Will Anderson and company are coming off the edge, it's not an easy thing to deal with. Yeah, we'll get in more depth with Alabama-Miami coming up in just a little bit. But uh, by the way... Chris, did you know that Kyle Trask was De'Eric King's backup in high school? Have you heard that yet? Have you, did, by chance, maybe you heard that. Did you know, did you know Jordan Shipley and Colt McCoy were roommates, Travis? <laughs> Oof, that's a blast from the past, Chris. Uh, I appreciate that. I like that. So it is a Thursday afternoon. By the time some people hear this, the games might have already been played on Thursday evening. But what has your excitometer, I guess we'll call it, needle moving the most going into Thursday night that Josh Heupel debut up in Knoxville against the Falcons of Bowling Green or that sort of Auburn flavored matchup on Thursday night between UCF and uh, Boise State with the Gus bus rolling into Orlando and then Brian Harson moving on from Boise to Auburn this is like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon Bowl or something isn't it <laughs> Yeah, no offense to Josh Eipel, but I will be paying attention to his former team. 
a bit more on a Thursday than I yeah, was. Yeah, that's true. We got the tie with Heupel and UCF, too. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for UCF, Boise State. Um, I'm not really sure how the Gus Smells On experience is going to go. At UCF, I'm really curious to see what they do with Dylan Gabriel. Um, Josh Heupel ran kind of that veer and shoot system, a lot of four verts, some zone passing, really wide, or zone uh, running game, really wide splits. Um, and Gus Malzahn's offensive history is pretty much the exact opposite of that um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, running the flex bone and some other variations. So what he does with Dylan Gabriel is a point of fascination for me. Boise State has some of the best receivers in the country quietly. They have two really good quarterbacks out there with Hank Potmeyer and Jack Sears, who are still kind of in the middle of a battle for that starting job. So I think that game's got a lot of intrigue. And other than Ohio State, Minnesota, that's that's the game I'm going to have on the most for sure. Yeah, the good news for Dylan Gabriel is that he's had plenty of time to learn all six plays in Gus's <laughs> attack. So uh, he ought to be well-versed in the Gus offense uh, by this point. So, yeah, you've got a fairly loaded Thursday night slate. But, you know, when we get into – talking about SEC football throughout the weekend, and that's really what we want to do with you uh, on this Thursday, Chris. It's it's an interesting lineup. Again, not just limited either to, as we've anointed it in some ways, the SEC-ACC challenge when you look at Alabama, Miami, Georgia, Clemson, Ole Miss, and Louisville, but pretty important road trip, isn't it? And one that's already uh, been detoured for the LSU Tigers with the effects of Hurricane Ida and just, again, those poor folks down on the Gulf Coast and certainly southern Louisiana in particular, uh, enough's enough at some point. But I guess when you look at the recent history for LSU and Ed Orgeron and having to navigate this type of situation, they've done it uh, just as recently as a year ago. And um, I talked about this earlier in the week on the podcast and elsewhere, uh, maybe – Maybe UCLA did LSU, did Ed Orgeron a favor with the performance against, uh, you know, what was thought to be at least a competitive Hawaii team last Saturday. That game in the Rose Bowl certainly didn't turn out that way. So the Tigers' attention should be squarely on UCLA. This shouldn't be Alabama going to UCLA uh, in, say, 2000 when the Crimson Tide stumbled out there and got ripped in a season opener. So, uh you know, how important is this? Uh, not not just in terms of winning the football game, but the perspective of LSU football, given everything swirling around this program right now, as far as its potential and its ceiling for this season. Yeah, I mean, I really, honestly, and I was thinking about this the other day, this is a game, if things break incorrectly for Ed Orgeron, he loses here and the season doesn't go the way he wants it to could be kind of the start of his downfall in a lot of ways. And on the other side, if you're Chip Kelly, who just won his first non-conference game in his tenure last week, four years in, you're also kind of coaching for your job. So there's a scenario where the loser of this game, that head coach um, faces some pretty legitimate questions about his job status at the end of the year. I'm not predicting that for Ed Orgeron. Things would have to go totally off the rails for that to happen, but given everything, as you said, that's swirled around that program, like it's possible. But for LSU, it's it's such an important game. If, if you hope to reach the college football playoff, which is the goal at LSU, when you consider all the talent that's on that roster and the expectations they created in 2019, you have to get through the non-conference slate unscathed. Like, you cannot lose to UCLA 
and hope to have a chance in hell of reaching the playoffs and making some noise without winning that game, given everything that's in your division and in the cross-division slate with Florida every year and potentially with Georgia in the SEC championship game. So you just you have to win that. And if Ed Orgeron doesn't win this one against a UCLA team that I don't just hasn't been that good recently. And I, I will say, like, I really like UCLA's running attack. Um, they're pretty good along the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And they did create a lot of pressure against Hawaii. But if LSU can't dominate there with all the talent they have on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, with their devastating group of cornerbacks they have and with some really um, impressive skill talent on the outside, like I think it could be a really long year for Ed Orgeron because the schedule is only going to get tougher. I know in your weekly predictions with uh, 247sports.com colleague Brad Crawford, you're anticipating a what looks to be a pretty entertaining game. 34-28, you have it for LSU on Saturday night in the Rose Bowl. The Tigers, I believe, a three-point road favorite going into this one. And again, you have to factor in everything this team has dealt with just in the last week. Uh, sort of reconvening and or making that trip to Houston, which by all accounts, just a bus trip, you know, with all the evacuees leaving Louisiana, trying to get to Houston initially was a lot. Now you're going to go from Houston to the West Coast. Uh, I guess what I go back to in this game is um, I have a lot of trust already in Max Johnson at the quarterback position. And that's saying something because Miles Brennan obviously uh, was a guy that was very much in that mix and a, a guy that I think you'd feel the same way about if he were, in fact, the starter. But I just like where LSU's at at quarterback. And and, and I think that you said it. If the talent takes over, LSU should win the football game. But I, I don't feel a great deal of certainty about it, again, based on everything swirling around this program. You know this, Chris. If this doesn't go right on Saturday night, Things that maybe haven't been as pressing where Ed Orgeron's future is concerned, and I'm talking about the off the field stuff, which shouldn't be discounted because it's extremely serious in nature. The charges, a lot of it, a lot of um, it. You, you know this too. Things can get accelerated if things on the field don't go well. I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation, right or wrong, whatever. If, if things on the field get a little sideways suddenly some of these other issues uh, can, can take on a, a more pressing type of nature. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot of stuff with LSU. Um, even the way Edward John handled last off season with a lot of things swirling was, um, was met with some criticism nationally as well. And I, people forget, but like Gene Chizik, I mean, I don't expect LSU to go three and nine. But like it is not unheard of two years removed from a national championship for a coach to get removed in the SEC, especially at a program like LSU, where the expectations are so high and where you have a coach in Billy Napier who would be a pretty natural fit winning a lot of games right down the road. So it, it's really important for Ed Orgeron to win because the best way to kind of brush those off-field concerns to the side, as you said, is to win football games. And if you lose to UCLA in week one, that's not a good way to do that. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the other games of particular interest in the Southeastern Conference. That's right. There is games to build on the excitement from Tennessee and Bowling Green on Thursday night. We'll do that with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. 
when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast as we get you ready for week one of college football 2021 Chris Hummer joining us on a Thursday edition of the BOL podcast Chris of course the longtime national college football writer there at 247sports.com let's talk a little bit about Ole Miss and Louisville before we ramp up to more of the varsity games uh in this sort of uh, trifecta of matchups involving SEC and SEC teams it seems to me anyway and I picked I picked Ole Miss fourth in the SEC West, which isn't isn't a knock at all when you consider you're talking Alabama, the expectations for Texas A&M, the roster still for LSU. But I've seen some predictions and some picks for this Ole Miss team in the weeks leading up to the season, Chris, as high as second in the West, 10 and two, third maybe. Um, have you been caught up in sort of that, that momentum, it seems, that Lane Kiffin's team has going into this season opener against Louisville? Oh, yeah. I'm all, I'm all aboard the lane, tra- <coughs> the lane train right now. And my bold predictions piece, which obviously um, we have to get a little bold with it. I had Ole Miss as a top 10 team to end the year. So I, I truly believe that's possible. I think Ole Miss could easily be 10-2, and 9-3 at season's end, 9-3 and win a bowl game, gets you to 10-3. and And if you're an SEC team with even one, high-level win that's probably going to put you in top-ten consideration. And I, I think that's totally on the table for Ole Miss. I, I think the key is defensively, they're going to be better. That secondary is going to be better. Um, like A guy like Otis Reese, who sat out last season from Georgia, is going to make a difference. They signed a number of high-impact freshmen in the secondary who are going to come in right away and play. They signed two Joko defensive tackles who are going to make that line so much better than it was last year. That defensive line was a disaster. It couldn't create pressure on its own. So if Ole Miss even goes from terrible to marginal defensively, I think that team is good enough offensively to really make some noise in the SEC uh, West. And, yeah, I'm a big fan of Ole Miss, and I expect them to get the season off to a really hot start with a double-digit win over Louisville. Let's talk Georgia and Clemson before we get into Alabama and Miami. Um Interesting matchup right out the gate, obviously very highly anticipated, maybe as much as we've anticipated an opener in college football since the 2017 matchup of Florida State and Alabama uh, in Atlanta there. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Dabo with the two national championships, Kirby trying to get over the hump. So much talk about the quarterback play and sort of the dots that can be connected between those two guys going back to their high school careers. Where are you leaning on this one? Because I, I, you know, as much as anything, I think I have trust issues with Georgia and I'm also trying to figure out still. And once again, it seems like we talk about this almost every year going into a season with the Bulldogs explosive play capability, even with JT Daniels taking over at quarterback 
We've had a number of injuries at the wide receiver position Georgia has. Uh, it seems like almost on an annual basis that's been the case. So that That's kind of where I sit with this game in Georgia particularly. Where are you at with Georgia and Clemson? I've gone back and forth. If you had asked me in June, I think I would have picked Georgia. But we've seen player after player kind of get hurt from Georgia. George Pickens, obviously, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then you have Eric Gilbert, who was supposed to be kind of this five-star slot receiver for them coming in from Florida. Or I guess coming in from LSU as a transfer. Who knows with Eric Gilbert? He's not going to play. He's away from the team right now. Darnell Washington, their starting tight end, is not going to play. Tyke Smith, their star uh, star, quite literally the position um, at Georgia and I guess at Alabama as well. Their nickelback isn't going to play. He was going to be so critical in defending Justin Ross in the slot. Um, those absences stack up heavy. I really have some concerns about their wide receiver room, which has been so banged up this offseason, even if a lot of those guys are expected to play. But that's sad. Like, I don't know about you, Travis, but Tyler Davis kind of having COVID rumors has me a bit spooked when it comes to Clemson. Um, mm-hmm. He's so important to their run defense. And if he's not able to go, I have a, I, I do really worry about the interior of that Clemson defensive line against that Georgia rushing attack. And if Georgia can run inside and JT Daniels can set up a play action and kind of um, dissect a defense down to down or dissect the defense down to down and kind of get a pre-snap looks, which often come when you have to play up in the run. I think George is really dangerous. Um, I, I think I'll still pick with stick with my Clemson pick, but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence pretty hard. What about you? Yeah. You know, I, I'm going with Clemson. I think I have a little more trust for Clemson in this kind of a spot. I know you and Brad were, I guess in your prediction split, Brad has Georgia winning 28, 24, you have Clemson winning 24-20. I think it will likely be that kind of game. But, uh, again, I, I have questions about Georgia's ability to, you know, produce the, the type of explosive plays that you're going to need against a Clemson team that, with Justin Ross back, may have more of that capability. Justin Ross may be the most intriguing player in college football this season, uh, other than Zeb Nolan, I guess, the – the in-state quarterback there to South Carolina going from grad assistant to starter for the Gamecocks on Saturday in their season opener. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, I lean a little bit more to Clemson. I think what you say about the Georgia run game and the potential for that has some credence, uh, especially if you've got some availability questions in that front seven for Clemson in the game. And if it comes down to that, I know Zamir White is a guy that we've seemingly been talking about. He's one of those guys, Chris, feels like we've been talking about Zamir White for 10 years now, the Georgia running back. But if I was going to pick a Georgia back right now that I could see with a sort of breakout performance, it might be Kendall Milton. Yeah, Kendall Milton's like a truck out there, man. I want to see like 6'2", 240. Yeah, total package. Yeah, he um, Zamir White, who we have been talking about, talking about for quite a long time, former number one overall back in the country. I just don't think he's ever been quite the same after his two ACL tears. He just kind of, he went from being a huge back with a kind of an explosive step that was very rare to a huge back with like decent speed and quite, just not quite as elusive as he used to be. And he's still effective. He's just not a game changer, but I think Kendall Milton has that ability. You're totally right about that. So that's interesting to watch, but, um, Another reason why I really like 
Clemson this week. It's just Brent Venables. They returned nine starters defensively for Clemson, and if you yeah. give that guy nine months to game plan for Georgia, like the amount of blitzes and kind of the creativity that JT Daniels is going to have to deal with from down to down is going to be extreme, and it is very difficult to coach against Brent Venables with that much time. So I, yeah. I do lean towards the uh, Tigers in that regard. You know, and it seems like every year we we hear about the Georgia offensive line and the potential for it to control games. I'm ready to see it on the field myself. And, you know, I understand there's some recency bias maybe in that statement because we've seen a couple of Georgia first-round offensive tackles in the last year or so bust out or at least show signs uh, of being bust at the next level. I guess I'm ready for that, too. You know, and with Sam Pittman now in Arkansas as a head coach, I know Matt Luke has certainly got a strong pedigree as a coach. But, you know, if there's ever a spot where Georgia needs its offensive line to really step forward and be what we continue to hear it is, uh, this would be one of those spots on Saturday night in Charlotte. I I do, like, Georgia's offensive line is going to be really good. I, I don't think there's any question about that. But I do wonder, they have Jameer Sawyer playing left tackle like he did last year. And I think that kind of speaks to some questions for Georgia's offensive line. Like, Jameer is better at guard. His best position long-term is guard. He is a dominant interior lineman. And he's a really good college left tackle. But Georgia signed back-to-back five stars at offensive tackle in the 2021 and 2020 classes. And for those two, probably not being able to not being ready immediately to kind of start yeah. that position does raise some questions about the ceiling of this line this year, I think. Yeah, just player development in general on that offensive line. And, and understanding they've had some really good offensive lines, but I'm talking about offensive lines in big spots. You know, when you're up big on Alabama, even in the 2018 uh, SEC championship game, and, and you can't get home. Uh, from that point for now, look, we can go back to that game and talk about some decisions Kirby made, uh, especially where a particular fake punt attempt was concerned late in the fourth quarter. But I just would like to see Georgia in a spot like this late in a game kind of take over physically uh, the, the way the recruiting rankings would lead you to believe they should. And not just on offense either. Finish games on defense, maybe uh, a little bit stronger. That'll be a fun one in Charlotte, though. On Saturday night, Alabama, Miami, as we get out of here with Chris Hummer on a Thursday edition of the Bama online podcast, I see here where you have Alabama scoring 41 points in the game Saturday afternoon, Chris, without Mac Jones, without Devontae Smith, without Jalen Waddell, Najee Harris, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, all that offensive talent moving on. And you have Alabama still scoring in the 40s. Yeah, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid at Alabama, quite literally. I guess on the other side of the ball. But, um, yeah, I mean, until I don't see it. Most places it's until I see it, I won't believe it. But at Alabama, it's until I don't see it, I won't believe it. And while I do think that offense, particularly at wide receiver, is going to take a bit of a step back, like you're just not going to replace the sheer amount of talent that was in that room the last couple of years. And no offense to John Mechie, who I think – as a good receiver, he's probably going to be a day one or day two draft pick, more likely a day two, kind of giving his profile or physical profile. Like that room is just not as good, but I don't think there's going to be much of a drop off from Mac Jones to Bryce Young. I don't think that offensive line is going to be much worse. It's certainly going to be, you got some questions there, I understand, particularly at center and maybe 
at uh, right tackle. But that line's going to be really good. And that running back room, while you're missing Najee, is as deep as you get in the country. And I just like, I've heard really good things about Trey Sanders, as I'm sure you all have. And Brian Robinson's finally got his chance to start. And you have so many other options in that room. It's unbelievable. So I, like, I don't care if Bill O'Brien or, uh, anybody's really calling the place. It's just, I think that room is set up for success, and Miami's got questions in the defensive front right now. They're not going to be nearly as good with their pass rush. Manny Diaz is their play caller again, which I think will help. They'll be a little more aggressive. But that Miami secondary, while good, is not great. and I, I just expect Alabama to score. Yeah, I think that's the big concern when you look at Miami up front and you know Jalen Phillips, first-round pick, leaving the program for Miami. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, an opt-out for last season, uh, a first-round pick. And you do have those questions for Miami in terms of its pass rush. No questions for Alabama on the edge with Will Anderson and Chris Allen returning for the 2021 season. And really saw over the second half of last season, those two guys get home more and more and be more disruptive, really, on an every-down basis, which takes us back to your comments earlier in the podcast about the challenge that awaits De'Eric King. And even with Charleston Rambo, one of the more significant moves in the transfer portal in the offseason going from Oklahoma down to Coral Gables, uh, that should benefit De'Eric King there on the outside. I think like everyone else, I'm going to be most interested to see exactly where De'Eric King is in his return from that ACL injury. All the reports have been very positive. 100% healthy, ready to go. Um, But, you know, there's a difference between being cleared and being all the way back. And so what type of emphasis are you putting on that with uh, King's legs and and knowing how important they're going to be, not just in terms of extending plays, but at the at the center, really, of Rhett Lashley's power spread is the need for the quarterback to at least occasionally have a presence in the run game as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, I think we've shed this label the last couple of years at Alabama um, in terms of nationally. Uh, we always pointed out as mobile quarterbacks gave Nick Saban the most trouble. But when you think about that group of linebackers, Alabama has um, particularly in the middle um, with Henry Toto and Christian Harris, while I think both do have questions in coverage and maybe that'll show up later in the year. Um, but you can't really think of two better sideline to sideline linebackers than those two um, in terms of covering the entire length of the field. And they are so well equipped to defend a mobile quarterback, Alabama, particularly on the second level. It is going to be extremely interesting to see how explosive Derek King is because Derek King, when healthy, is a sub 100 or seven eleven second 100 meter guy. He is as fast as they come. He's not like quite Kyler Murray, but he's, shifty explosive and quick in the open field but if he's hesitant coming off that acl if he's 90 percent coming off that acl instead of 100 in terms of a runner like miami's gonna have a really difficult time because what makes Derek king special is his ability to kind of make plays out of structure with his legs and while as you said they get charleston rambo over while mark harley is going to be a really consistent threat in the slot for miami at receiver while their running back room is really deep. Unless Derek King's legs are working the way we're used to them working, I think Miami's going to have a really difficult time against that Alabama defense. And you alluded to it earlier, too. Zion Nelson, 
the starter at left tackle has been limited a great deal during the preseason. Still some question about his availability for Saturday afternoon. That's not a place you like to be when you also have a quarterback coming off injury. And look, non-conference regular season matchups, Alabama does not lose these games. As we know, the last team to beat Alabama in the regular season from a non-conference perspective the Warhawks, Chris, of Louisiana Monroe. You know, I bet the guys on that 2007 Louisiana Monroe team, they're probably like the 1972 Dolphins. When Alabama beats the final non-conference regular season opponent every year, I bet the Louisiana Monroe guys from 2007, they probably pop bottles like the 72 Dolphins, you know, when that last <laughs> NFL team leaves. You know, pretty nice uh, designation they've got there. Absolutely. I, I can't, I still can't believe we live in a world like I was, I was still in high school when it happened. I can't believe we live in a world where you all beat Alabama at anything. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe Kentucky's on upset watch this weekend. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Law Monroe. Making Probably that not trip. though. That, that ULM team is pretty bad. They're going to, they're going to need some time. Yeah. They're going to get a nice check though. You know, I should get a pretty good check making that trip up there. So, uh, no better, so, no better, no better paydays in college football than the fired coach who gets those unemployment checks from their previous school and those schools that get paid to take a beating. Yeah. I mean, Charlie, why are you still getting paid in some form or fashion by somebody? I got to think whether, uh, I think the Notre Dame buyout, maybe the Kansas one did too. Charlie, but, Charlie uh, Weiss, gold standard, although uh, 20 million plus, wasn't it? I mean, between the two, I think. I think Gus Malzahn's getting paid by Auburn still. If I'm not. Isn't Scott Frost? We were talking about Scott Frost earlier. Isn't he twenty million somewhere in that neighborhood for a buyout? Maybe if, if they, they fire him right now, it'd be twenty-five million. If they fire him on January first, <laughs> twenty million. So he could be he could be sitting pretty too. You never know. Oh gosh, it's amazing, isn't it? No money spends like buyout money. No doubt about that. <laughs> Hey, Chris, we appreciate you taking the time. It's been a while, so we wanted to catch up. Always a wealth of great insight and knowledge. We like tapping into that with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Hey, enjoy it, Chris, and we'll catch up again soon. For sure, anytime. Thanks so much. Chris Hummer right here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Simple. Easy as a click or two. And if you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Chris Hummer, thanks once again. I'm Travis Ryer. Thank you for listening to the BamaOnline.com podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.